0: that's noom.com to sign up for your trial today
1: welcome to hacks and jacks a fantasy baseball podcast i am joe galina
0: Acknowledge me.
1: and as always i'm joined by my buddy scott chu how's it going there scott
2: it's going pretty good. I uh, I'm dropping my oldest son off at camp uh, this week, so m- the wife and I won't be outnumbered uh, for a, you know five you know five and a half days. So that's going to be something new. Um, but other than that, you know, just enjoying this beautiful Michigan weather. It's uh 68 degrees and rainy wow. mm-hmm.
1: today and rainy. So, okay, I was going to say if it's 68 and sunny, that's a tremendous well, that's break beautiful. from the usual heat that we get in nope. the summer. Wet and gross. Mm. Yeah, New York, we had uh, like a a couple of straight weeks of heat and humidity, and then we got a reprieve from it, a few days of some sunny weather, low humidity, and temperatures like in the mid-80s, so we got a little bit of a reprieve, but hey, you know, we're uh, in August, we're recording this August 6th at about 11.42 a.m. Eastern Time, and uh, it's officially the dog days of summer, Scott. This is when, uh, you know, the uh some players really start to grind you know that it's 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 a long season
2: yeah and i think you know throughout throughout the season i have been asked to rate a specific player that this has come up for for me is actually corbin carroll not because of anything to do with how corbin carroll is playing but because this is corbin carroll's first full season in the major leagues Right. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying he will necessarily have like a slump later on. We actually saw him go through one somewhat recently, but mm-hmm. it is something to keep in mind. It's uh, some of the, especially these young players, the minor league season is not this long, right? They, right. It's basically, they don't play for September. That's why we have September call-ups because they're not playing anymore and they want to keep them playing. So um, I'm not saying like, there's not really anything you can do about it, but it's something to keep in mind. Like if you see one of these young players really struggle in September, Keep in mind that that is one of the variables. Like just because a player is struggling doesn't mean it's because they've had like still like skill degradation or pitchers have figured him out. He might just be exhausted. Mm, right. Like, interesting again, take, yes. mm-hmm. I mean, we, we, we see this with pitchers all the time and, and we say, oh yeah, pitchers, you know, they got tired out towards the end of the season, but we don't think about it with hitters, but it's not that different for them. Right. Mm-hmm. It's a different scale. Um, But like, we don't talk about games caps for hitters, but their body still wears down over the course of a season. Again, Nothing you can really do about it. Just something to keep in mind when you're projecting forward. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. Uh, And just to to continue on that vein and a little bit, just like hot and cold players, one guy, I'll just talk to you, then we'll get to the rest of what's on our rundown. But Michael Harris has been like on a tear lately, you know, Uh, for for a long time, you know, for the past month, batting 375, uh, only a couple of home runs. But, uh, you know, the, the, Splits that he had split problems. I think he had issues hitting against left-handed pitching last year. He doesn't have them anymore. Uh, pretty evenly uh, productive uh, against both right-handed pitching, left-handed pitching, um, and got off to a real slow start. But you know, with that stacked Braves lineup, the guy's still batting ninth every day. So uh, you talk about the, the hot and cold players, and you know, this this guy's really coming on as the season has progressed.
2: Yeah. It's, it's very interesting. He's it kind of looks like he's going to end up with very similar numbers that he had last season, despite mm-hmm. playing in like 20 more games. <laughs> it's going to just kind of work out that way. He's going to really threaten 2020, uh, in terms of home runs and stolen bases. If he, you know, he might fall a little bit short of the 20 home runs again, uh, just depends on whether he gets another power surge or not. I mean, he just hit two home runs the other night. So we'll see, uh, what I, what I like about Michael Harris is that he's adapting and he's he's found a way to sort of be productive. Um last season Statcast and you know the Statcast data both that we have on Pitcherlist and that you can find on Baseball Savant suggested that maybe he was a little fortunate last season, Michael Harris, uh mm-hmm. that he had some, you know, he had some batted ball luck and that might have attributed to some like why he was pretty, you know, quite a bit better than his expected woba this season they actually two are exactly in sync in terms of the savant data um which is kind of interesting what we're seeing for michael harris is that he's striking out less and he's walking a bit more now he's never going to walk a lot Ooh. michael harris is an aggressive hitter and that is actually part of the streakiness so there's when we talk about aggressive hitters i think the first thing that comes to mind for people are, are strikeout guys javi baez guys right Swinging everything, swinging this. But there's actually aggressive hitters who don't strike out a lot. They just run into a ton of weak contact. Michael Harris is one of those guys that when he slumps, it doesn't look like a 35% strikeout rate. What it looks like is a 20 to 25% strikeout rate with terrible X stats. Why? Ooh. Because he's hitting the ball poorly. He's attacking things that he really shouldn't be attacking. He's making poor decisions. He's putting balls in play that just should have been taken. Right. Um. Another player that's like this, who's actually sort of on the other end of the spectrum, he's slumping right now. It's Austin Hayes of the Orioles. Really? Austin Hayes is another guy who doesn't strike out a lot, Um. but he is very aggressive in that he will put balls in play that he really shouldn't. And neither of these guys are like Luis Arias, who doesn't matter what you throw him. He finds a way to plop it over the second baseman or the shortstop. These two guys, we, you know, when they hit, when they hit bad pitches they tend to have bad contact mm-hmm. uh, and it rolls you know rolls to an infielder or pops out you know the right fielder barely moves and it's all over right so that's what we see Michael Harris really kind of get into the groove of things wouldn't be super shocked if we saw like a little slump at some point but again not because he's getting worse but because this is just how baseball works mm-hmm. right guys get hot then they get cold the the dream of the consistent player is really kind of a myth right we call them rolling charts because they all go up and down none of them are flat right what the just the real kind of the key is like how high are the highs how low are the lows and what's the space between them right right? how long how long do each last last? (laughs) how volatile volatile do they go from one to the other these kinds of things right so Uh, it's just a good example of it. Um, I think what I'll really be looking for, for Michael Harris is to continue to see that, that bottom out, uh, just get higher and higher, right? Like Mm -hmm. where's the low point. I want to see that low point get a little bit better. It's okay. If the ceiling comes down just a little bit, what I'm really concerned about is that floor. I need that floor to be higher. Uh, the other problem for him, as you mentioned, he's batting ninth. I don't see that changing. Right, Mm -hmm. last season Atlanta hit him ninth pretty much the whole season, and they didn't even have Ronald Acuna Jr. to lean off, lead off. Right, right? just didn't they just didn't do that with Michael Harris? He had he had a chance at the beginning of the year to bat second. He lost that because of that long slump. I don't see him getting that back. So expect Harris to stay at the bottom of the order. He's hit fine from there. What it really does is take away plate appearances. You can you know I mean it it feels like a plate appearance a day. It doesn't actually account for that for quite that many. But, you know, it's several plate appearances a week, which in Roto isn't that big of a deal. As long as he's hitting in points, it can make a difference. Sure. So I'm not going to drop him in points, but it's why in points leagues, you'll see, especially a player like me, tell you that, like, I really don't like guys that hit ninth. Right.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: But You know, with with Harris, the talent is there. But other guys who hit ninth that, you know, are no longer hot. I drop them like a sack of hammers. Ezekiel Duran being one. Mm -hmm. Right. He's a guy who he's he's batting ninth and he's cold and he's platooned. He's out. Right?
1: right? Because Agreed. the origin
2: yeah. for error when you bat ninth is just nothing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So Michael Harris over his last 140 games spanning into last season, 20 homers, 21 stolen bases, 291 batting average. So far this season, 86 games, 11 homers, 13 stolen bases. And I'll tell you that that Braves lineup just so deep and, uh, you know, we gonna have to spend any time on him at all, but I'll just bring him up. Matt Olson, I have him on my TGFBI team. Every time I look, he's hitting a home run lately. I mean, you know, we talk about Otani. It seems that every other day he's hitting a home run as well. But when you look at uh, Matt Olson, 38 home runs, 94 RBI on the season, first 180, 108 games, and just uh, just tearing the cover off the ball.
2: Well, and Austin Riley has really turned yeah. it around here in the second yes. half. I and mean, he's been outstanding. Um, I mean, this really like there are guys in this lineup who aren't hitting well, but they're the guys <laughs> I talk about aggressive hitters. This one strikes out more like Eddie Rosario has found moments of relevance throughout the season. Like, yeah. don't get attached. I'm I'm not really that into him or Marcelo Zuna. Marcelo Zuna is a better player than Eddie Rosario. But for example, Eddie Rosario, he's a guy who, um, you know, he, he swings the bat every time and when Ooh. he's hot he's unbelievable because everything seems like it's it's leaving the park and then pitchers remember they don't actually have to throw him strikes uh and then they stop doing it and you see kind of stretches like this but yeah this lineup this lineup is deep if marcelo zuna or sorry not Marcelo, zuna, if michael harris was going to move up in the order you could see him get up to seventh or Ooh. something like that um, maybe six. I think they like Ozuna's power there. The problem is, I don't think Atlanta is into that. They seem to like the concept of two leadoff guys, uh, using the one and the nine. Mm-hmm. I hate it for fantasy because batting ninth is not what I like. Right. But I would be stunned if Michael Harris got a chance to hit anywhere else, right? Because right. Ozzy Albie's is not coming out of the two spot, mm-hmm. right? Austin Riley, Matt Olson, Sean Murphy—that's your three, four, five. Uh, Mm -hmm. And then you've got Ozuna, Rosario, Arcia, and Harris. So that's, I mean, that's kind of the thing with Harris is there's just nowhere else for him to really hit when you consider Atlanta's philosophy Mm -hmm. on how they structure this lineup. So uh, I don't expect that to change. The only thing I'll say, you know, for real baseball purposes is that I love this lineup. It's deep, but the bench is awful. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like they have a backup catcher, but like Nikki Lopez, Kevin PR, uh, Pilar and, uh, Forest wall, who I've never actually heard of. Um, <laughs> those, are, those are the guys on the bench, but they also never play right. Mm-hmm. Like the, the four of those guys over the last six games have combined three starts. Nice. Two of them are uh Darno playing, you know, being a catcher. Sure. So uh, that that's interesting. This, this team is really reliant on the, the starting nine.
1: Right. Right. And you know, that their core is signed to team friendly, Long term contract. So I I get what you're saying about their, you know, bench depth. But, uh, you know, just from a perspective, a real life perspective, as long as everyone stays healthy, they're going to be playing together for a long time. They're going to be a a really good competitive team for a long time as well. They're uh, running away with the NL East. But, uh, yeah, so let's move on from here, and uh, we'll talk a little bit about some of the MLB trade deadline activity that went on, I mean, tons of activity, a lot of it, you know, pitching-wise, and we'll, we'll focus more on a few of the hitters that got moved and talk about uh, how their fantasy uh, outlook changed based on their new teams and whatnot. But I uh, wanted to start off with uh, talking about the Rays promoting Curtis Mead uh one of their uh top prospects third baseman who's played a bunch of minor league games at second base as well and some at first base uh, he uh, was called up because unfortunately Shane McClanahan their starting pitcher uh, has a forearm injury experienced some forearm soreness so there was an opening on the roster but you gotta like what you see from Curtis Mead based on his minor league stats had a uh, walk rate in AAA this season, just a 14.7% K rate for the season, Uh, 374 minor league career OBP, 302 lifetime batting average in the minor leagues. Home run powers waned a little bit. Uh, Some are thinking that it might be because of some recent injuries that he's had, but uh, take a look at what some prospect analysts say about him. They think he might have eventually a 20 plus home run kind of bat. The only issue I have with him is Where's he going to play? I mean, he got the start at third base Saturday, went 0-3 with two strikeouts. But uh, Isak Paredes, uh, we've talked about him a lot in this podcast. He's locked in at third base having a career season. Uh, Brandon Lau has been heating up, and he's uh, the Rays' second baseman. First base is covered by Yandy Diaz. Maybe, you know, uh, Meade could find some at-bats as a DH. But, you know, I like his pedigree. I like you know, his future. But I don't know if he's – worth an ad in, in leagues right now
2: yeah actually so Mead had a slow start uh in AAA this year um I know he dealt with some injuries he it just you know wasn't looking very good I was surprised to see him get the call actually because even now he wasn't you know it's not like he was tearing the cover off the ball quite at the I mean overall he's got like a 107 WRC plus so a fairly average AAA player uh in terms of the results i mean not a ton of home runs not a ton of steals uh, over 46 games he only had 3 of each so um it, it's the 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 rays are a team that you know famously move guys around a lot mm-hmm. they not just in terms of position they move them up and down the order they platoon guys they they do a lot of weird stuff so when i see mead i mean he did get two starts in a row right against a righty and a lefty he played third base for both of them uh and, and the way it was interesting how the Rays dealt with that because so they've had Isak Paredes as their everyday third baseman for quite some time so what do they do on the two days that Meade comes in they played Parades played both games he played second base and he played first base Mm -hmm. and the way they dealt with that was one of those days uh when Paredes moved to first base they moved Diaz to DH and then when he went to second base uh Brandon Lau got the day off because it was a lefty right so uh it's it's hard to it's like i can see how the race could get him in the lineup whenever they wanted the question is mm-hmm. going to be when is that i think pretty reliably we'll see the righty curtis mead play against left-handed pitching that's an easy one because you can move brady's second base you can slide him in uh i wonder if mead gets you know i'm thinking maybe in you know 15 teamers there might be some intrigue here if you really need like you know you need a hail mary because there are several lefties on this roster and one of them has been Performing quite poorly lately, uh, and that is Luke Rayley. So Rayley's an outfielder. You won't see yeah. Mead go to the outfield, but you could see, you know, players get shifted around so that uh, we see Mead get DH, you know, DH at bats uh, against lefties, um, or just whenever they don't feel like playing Luke Rayley. Who mm-hmm. I'll admit, I did put him in my rankings. I was always hesitant to move him up, you know, to match his current performance because. He's an aggressive strikeout hitter. He doesn't walk a ton. He walks, I mean, it's okay, but I was stunned at the results he was getting seemingly out of nowhere. I'm not saying that this slump is the real Luke Rayleigh, but I also wouldn't, I wouldn't expect him to return to the performance he had earlier this season because that in itself was a surprise. Mm-hmm. Right. I think he can rebound. I just don't know what that rebound level will be. In 12 teamers with like three outfielders, I have moved on from Luke Rayleigh in leagues that I had him. Uh, because you just can't, there's not really a need to be committed to these guys for that long. Um, you know, interestingly, you know, Josh, uh, Josh Lowe has turned it around a bit of late. He's been hitting much better over the last, you know, week or two. Uh, but he sits against all lefties, right? So um between Rayleigh and Lowe, despite the fact they're both outfielders, that should open up like D, move things around, get some DH at bats for Curtis Mead. But to you know, I say all that just to get to the point of in twelve teamers, I re- I just don't care about Mead right now. I need to know he has an everyday role first. The mm-hmm. the big way for me was they played Mead at third base two days in a row, and Paredes still played. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that you know, he was the one I think that immediately stood to lose the most. I was like, are they going to uh, you know? have Paredes in a platoon at DH now because Paredes is not a good fielder uh, mm. I was worried that was going to happen and they just let him play other positions uh, so so that's the key I, I still so I still really like Isak Paredes um, I don't know how much longer he can continue to pull the ball at legendary rates uh, but he should be you know he is relevant in all leagues through the rest of the season until or unless we see Paredes sit more than once a week
1: mm-hmm. yeah Um and uh, Curtis Mead and Yahoo Leagues, which a lot of people play, second base, third base eligible. So if you do play in a, in a deeper league and, you know, you need the the flexibility to be able to start them or have daily lineup moves, you know, it might be somebody to look into. But uh, let's move on to Davis Schneider, who was called up by the Toronto Blue Jays, second baseman, third baseman outfielder throughout his uh, minor league career, uh, Bo Bichette got placed on the IL, has a knee injury. Supposedly it's not serious, but still hitting the IL. And, uh, you know, the the Jays made a move where they traded for Paul DeJong, uh, and then they called up Schneider. So um, I love it. He hit a home run in his first at-bat in the big leagues. Love it when that happens. Uh, played second base for the Jays on Saturday night. Went three for three. Interesting player. Uh, I think, uh, again, maybe regular playing time is going to be an issue, but if he keeps hitting the ball, the Jays going to keep his bat in the lineup, uh, 18.4% walk rate and 21.9% K rate in 87 triple a games this season. Uh, if you look at his minor league career really has improved his plate discipline, uh, over the past few seasons. Um, and this season in triple a, his power really popped 21 home runs, 64 RBI in 87 games. Um, 253 373 463 triple slash in six minor league seasons so batting average could be an issue
2: yeah absolutely I I have very low expectations for Schneider he was doing of course really really well in the minor leagues uh mostly so far I've been surprised that they he's been playing right mm-hmm. that he's been in the lineup uh because they you know I assumed that they would just let Whit Merrifield keep playing second base, but the way they decided to work out. Yeah. The way they decided to work out this injury was Paul DeYoung goes to, you know, play shortstop. Merrifield goes from second base to left field. Mm -hmm. And then they sort of, you know, put Schneider in at second base. Um, It's weird. There's actually three guys on this bench who can play second base. Uh, Schneider, Biggio, and Espinal. They all can play second base. Um, Second basemen are uh, are an interesting thing in the major leagues because, generally speaking, second basemen aren't drafted; they're made uh, out of shortstop prospects or third base prospects. Either a third baseman with uh, not a strong enough arm or a shortstop with not a strong enough arm. Right, generally that's what we see. Uh, that's how guys come to play second base. Schneider is again; he's not someone I'm super interested in in twelve team leagues. Right, if you've been streaming your second base or middle infield and just want to give it a whirl, go for it. Right, there's more intrigue here, I think, in OBP because he does walk, but uh, you know the projections hate his strikeout rate. I thought it was better. You know, in the in the minor leagues, it was 18.4 percent walks, 21.9 percent strikeout rates. Even if you give it the old Scott Chu five percent bump uh, Mm. when you come to Rangers, that still puts him at you know a 26 to 27 percent strikeout rate, and that's fine. Right, and that's actually closer to what ATC has. Uh, the question, of course, will be things like batting average, really hard to project. He's actually, you know, he it's off to an early start, so X stats you can't really use. Um, so, like his EV is kind of driven on what seven batted balls. Can't really look at that. I look at his minor league numbers. He does hit a lot of balls in the air. This is not a guy who hits ground balls. Uh, it's you know forty eight point seven percent this season. Uh, but wow, tons of infield flies. Even in the minor leagues, right? Uh, in you know last season, it was you know it was high between Double A AA and Triple A. This season in Triple A, it's still high, right? Nineteen point, uh, sorry, thirteen point six percent infield fly balls, uh, which obviously are always outs.
1: I mean, mm-hmm. they're mm-hmm. always
2: outs. So, he, <laughs> so you, you think he's um,
1: just over aggressive, and that's what's causing him?
2: It's hard to say. So he pulls mm-hmm. the ball a ton, right? Mm-hmm. So so that's I mean that's classic power hitter kind of thing um and you can know, see that in the 21 home runs in 87 games so you know it's he had a lot of line drives this season in the minors and that's that helps batting average right i'm um, really in the last over the last two seasons he's had a line drive rate you know 20 about 23 percent across double a AA and triple a so if he can hit those line drives uh he can have a better batting average but you know, I say all that about Schneider to say, I am expecting a, at some point, the low batting average will likely shine through because fly balls are often outs. Mm-hmm. Thankfully he's a power. hitter, And I actually, I was, uh, I mentioned this in the AMA. I talk about fly balls, usually in the sense that I want guys to hit fly balls. Generally, I want power hitters to hit balls in the air, right? Yandy Diaz hitting fly balls. Good thing. Cause he's big and he's strong, uh, but weak players, Well, not weak, right? They're strong enough to be a major league player, but guys without home run power, you don't want them to hit balls up in the air. So Trey Turner, a good example of a player who's hitting too many fly balls because when Trey Turner hits a fly ball, you don't really expect it to leave the park, right? Mm -hmm. So Schneider, I like that he's hitting fly balls. The question will be what happens to everything else, right? Um, You can only expect about one in five of those fly balls at best to leave the yard. So we know that the other four out of five, five balls for Schneider are outs. We can just make mm-hmm. that assumption, right? So what happens to everything else? Now, if he can hit line drives, line drives almost always go for hits, right? It's like 67% or something yep. like that. Line drives go for hits. So if he can keep a line drive rate up above 20%, uh, to go with those fly balls, there could be a useful player there, but that's, I mean, it's a little bit of wish casting, right? I need a lot of things to happen for David Schneider to be truly relevant in 12 teamers for more than a week or two. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I know it's a lot to say the most important part of all of this is please don't think that Paul DeYoung is worth rostering, uh, mm-hmm. in 12 teamers. He wasn't before he's not now. Um, he's a guy who will have one good month a season one and it's already happened. It's already mm-hmm. happened. It's over. I do not expect anything really to happen for Paul DeYoung. Um, just because pitchers, he, he has a hard time adjusting in season. Uh, once he cools off, he stays cold. Um, Finally, about the Jays, hey, don't look now, Dalton Varshow doing a couple things recently, right? Like not a mm-hmm. ton, it's a ton, but the strikeout rates are really down uh, over his last seven games, right? He only has two strikeouts in his last seven games. Uh, and in that time, he's got more hits than that. <laughs> not a lot of them, but mm. he does have, a, he had a home run the other night. Uh, maybe there's something, I've been asked a lot about what to do with Dalton Varsho, and I'll just keep saying the same thing. The upside on Varsho is immense, right? And the problem has been quality of contact. If you are in first place uh, or you're in, you know, if you're in first place, you can probably afford to keep holding Dalton Varsho to see if he explodes because he is better than most catchers that are on the wire.
1: And ride the uh, wave. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Um, you can hold him for a little longer until you start getting close to the playoffs. And then you can finally start saying, okay, I'm done with this. Once mm-hmm. there's a threat, you need that, you know, you need that roster spot then you say, oh, okay, now you got to go. Um, if you are in the middle of the pack, of course, you can't wait any longer. Um, it doesn't matter how well we project Dalton Varshow going forward. You cannot wait. Uh, if either Contreras is on your wire, I'd go after that. or Diaz is playing more than uh, I expected him to with the return of Jordan Alvarez. He's a guy I'd go after. Francisco Alvarez is a you know a bad-eyed chase if I needed power. Um, but basically you can convert that to a streaming catcher position if you are in more desperate need of production from catcher. Right. Mm So I I don't want to give broad advice to everyone because I still think that the upside is there for someone who is comfortable in their spot to say, I can wait um, because he could turn it on. Would it be that weird if he was the best catcher in, you know, from mid August on? No, I don't think that would surprise anybody. Um, I mean, it would in the sense that he's been so bad this year, but You know, coming into the season, I think we all thought that was a very realistic possibility. Projection systems still really like him. So with Dalton Varsho, hold if you absolutely can, but in, uh, you know, if you're in the middle of the pack, let him go. And, you know, the other thing to remember is that for players or for folks that are playing keeper or dynasty leagues, Dalton Varsho will not be a catcher anymore. And his relevance is going to change dramatically, right? Because there aren't many catchers who can do what he do, what he does, right? He can hit home runs. He could threaten 20 home runs, right? He can get 15 you know, to 17 stolen bases. There's like no catchers really anymore can do that. There's plenty mm-hmm. of outfielders who can do that, and they can do it without hitting 215.
1: Yeah, yeah. All right. So I think this is a good spot for us to take our first break. When we come back, we'll talk about Trevor Story and updates on his status. And uh, we'll also take a look at some of the players who were moved uh, at the – trade deadline take a look at a few cub players we'll talk about all of that right after this all right we're back hacks and jacks a fantasy baseball podcast Joe Galena and Scott Chu uh you could follow me at Joe Galena on the X and you could follow this guy Scott Chu on the X <laughs> at if the chew fits uh I still call it Twitter though I don't know I just can't stop I don't know about you. Does anyone not call it Twitter? I mean, <laughs> it's like, like between between two people,
2: two friends. I don't think any of us call it the X,
1: right? right. Like, it's the first time I said it really, I, but I just thought it, you know, you know, just uh, – How
2: did it feel, Joe?
1: <laughs> I, it felt weird. felt weird. I don't know if I'll ever yeah, do it yeah, again.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I don't know yeah. if I'll yeah, The I X makes it sound like Dodgeball the Ocho,
1: right? <laughs> like – uh, the, uh, what, what, what did we say last week? The uh, social media app right. Formerly known as, as Twitter you know, yeah,
2: Which feels less weird Than saying the S To <laughs> right.
1: be honest Alright <laughs> right, so uh, Before we took our first
0: break um, I teased we were going to talk about Trevor story. Trevor's story By the way When it comes to weight management We tend to put our focus on what we eat But Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat You,
1: you had mentioned, you know, about, uh, you know,
0: uh, player, baseball players being
1: weak and whatnot, uh, you know, that they're not weak because they're baseball players. And, and did you see that little uh, scuffle between Jose Ramirez and Tim Anderson uh, Saturday's game? I think the Ramirez just knocked him, not out, but knocked him down. Did you see a, the highlight from that?
2: Uh, I did. And, um, you know, Tim Anderson hasn't shown a lot of power this season. Uh, did not show <laughs> a lot of power in that fight. You sure. can make contact. You can make contact. <laughs> the, the power's not there yet.
1: Right. Yeah, it still has that one home run. Uh, all right. So Trevor story, right? Uh, so, uh, you know, it's time if you, if you haven't, you know, if you need help uh, at middle infield spot to uh, look for him on your waiver wire, because uh, maybe, playing some baseball in a ballpark near you real soon. Uh, Remember, uh, he's been out all season long, underwent an internal bracing procedure on his throwing elbow. Uh, He's been playing for the Red Sox minor league affiliates, AA and AAA for almost a month now. Uh, His rehab assignment will end on Wednesday. Remember, we're recording this on Sunday, August 6th. And because his rehab is going to end because uh, I think there's a 20-day window when non-pitchers uh, have to complete their their assignments, their rehab assignments. So, uh, as of Sunday morning, Story has forty three plate appearances between the uh, Red Sox's Double A AA and Triple A affiliates. Uh, Two seventy batting average, three home runs, three doubles, seven RBI. Good to see the power back, and uh, should be looking for him, uh, you know, on the waiver wire. No,
2: y- yeah, but. He- I really, you know, I've been telling people for quite some time, um, got to keep the expectations down, mm-hmm. right? Uh, yeah, I mean, you don't Story, have to put
1: him in your lineup right away, but it's,
2: you know, I mean, even so, performance hasn't been a huge issue the last couple of seasons because even though you know he's he, he actually surprisingly uh he's been more durable, I think, than he's sort of felt. If that makes any sense, uh you know Trevor Story's been in the league since 2016 um he's always been like banged up but he'd only miss like you know 15 games right so every season he would miss like 15 games and then finally he had this big injury um after he you know after he goes to Boston here's the thing right like the strikeout rate was really high last season of course i like seeing the lower strikeout rate in triple a he's only striking out a little less than 22% of the time in triple a so even if you give it the bump uh, it should still be like manageable for Trevor story. The reason I say to be hesitant is because this is not a guy who sounds like he's super healthy, right? It was actually his choice. I mean, they they had talked about if he would come up early because he's been looking good playing. Well, he asked to stay on that rehab assignment for as long as possible. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, yeah. You know, I I think there's a lot of people th- that thought he might've come back over the weekend and he still was like, no, I want to, I, I really want to get, you know, loose in, triple a. And again, that's not like a diagnosis. It's just, you know, usually players are, you know, they want to end their rehab, like re I don't need no rehab. Right. I don't uh, rehab.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. So, uh, int- you know, it's interesting and I'm really curious to see if the plan for Boston is to give him routine days off. Right. So, uh, I, I think Boston isn't under some delusion that they, uh, they're going to make the playoffs. Um, they're, they're not mathematically eliminated, but it, it's a very uphill fight for Boston to make it to the playoffs. Um, they kind of stood pat mostly at the deadline. Uh, they didn't trade any of the pieces. I really thought they would, uh, they acquired, uh, Louis Urias for some reason. Um, but fine, he's actually been the one playing second base. So, uh, you know, story would probably come in and play. He was a, he was a second baseman. Last season, I wonder if Story would come in to play shortstop, uh, his old position, in place of the, you know, sort of soft-hitting Yu Chang, who's been the shortstop uh, for quite a bit for Boston. It, he
1: might play— Maybe second base might be better for him, short a throw, no? Yeah,
2: he could. He could, Especially absolutely. Especially with it coming off on
1: your throw—you know, you have, have a big injury yeah, on it- your throwing—
2: And and Urias can play second. He actually, uh, Urias is a versatile guy. He can play third Mm -hmm. base. He can play shortstop. He can play second base. So we could see that happen. Um, again, the real question is how often will he play? Right. Right. Like how often are they going to let him play? How often is he going to get days off? That's where my real hesitation is. It's. I think while he plays, we have enough projection systems to say like, yeah, uh, you know he's showing some power we have, we have reason to believe the power will still be there the batting average might be a little more suspect than it used to be just because he's getting older but you know is he going to play every day so i think he is worth rostering i think the the thing you'll have to do is within 2 weeks you're going to need to make a decision cuz right now for a lot of folks he's free right he's just sitting on their IL waiting for him to mm-hmm. get called up whenever he gets called up he's going to take up a real roster spot Mm-hmm. And again, if you're in first place, I think it's something you can sit on. Um, if you're in dynasty, of course you don't really have to make any decisions, but you, re- but redraft players are going to have to decide pretty quickly. Is Trevor story playing enough to keep and is it worth the risk? Right. Um, he's, you know, He's not someone that I'm putting in my top 10 or 12 at second base when he returns. Uh, He'll probably be, you know, when he debuts on the list, which will be this, you know, this coming week, this Wednesday, um, he'll probably make it in the list, but he'll be in that last tier Mm -hmm. because of the risk. Not because I don't think he has upside, but because he has massive risk. Um, So that's, that's really kind of where we're at. Uh, I know this is like a very long non-answer to what I think about Trevor's story, Mm -hmm. but I think he has upside to be very relevant in 12-team leagues, and I think that there's very real chance that he does not play enough to recognize that sort of potential.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, All right, so let's talk about some of the trade deadline moves that took place, and we'll talk about your hitter list as well. Um, First of all, I just wanted to ask you, and and I know we're more of a hitter-centric podcast, but Eduardo Rodriguez, the Tigers – Worked out a deal where he was going to move. They were going to move him to the Dodgers, and he uh, used his no-trade clause and decided to stay with the Tigers. Just, I'm just curious more than anything. You know, I, I read that you know, you know, he's had some family issues last year. Had to take a, a leave of absence, you know, to deal with some family issues, and uh, the speculation was that uh, you know he wanted to keep his family, keep from moving his family across the country. But what's the take? Um, in Detroit right now or uh, they are fans behind him is the team kind of you know playing the hand in terms of like are they upset with him or what's the what's the feeling that you sense? so
2: just like in regular life right when someone says they need to do what's best for their family I think you take that at face value and I don't mm-hmm. think anyone can really begrudge someone for turning down a job offer um, on the other side you know on the other side of the country because they don't think it's in the best interest of their family. I think when Eduardo Rodriguez had to uh, basically take a leave from the team, he barely talked to the Tigers during that leave, and the Tigers were incredibly supportive of him for the same reason they said, "This man needs to do what's best for his family and uh, he stepped away, and we are just going to we're going to keep moving on right? We are not shut. He was not shunned. He was not anything. He was welcomed back to open arms. So I think it would have been nice uh, for the Tigers to get something for him. Of course, the contract for Erod, I, I don't think the return was going to be that big, right? Uh, because Erod has that opt out uh, at the end of this season, I believe. So, you know, how, how much would you really get for him? Um, the Tigers don't really have a good track record in acquiring prospects for pitchers. Um, they finally cut the last of, uh, the last of the return for the Justin Verlander trade, uh, mm-hmm. which was uh, a pitcher who never made it to the big leagues. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I, I don't begrudge him one bit. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it stinks. It would have been nice. I'm stunned. They got something for, uh, for, uh, Michael Lorenzen. That's mm-hmm. great. They got a return for Michael Lorenzen, uh, a guy who was a true, let's hope we can trade him free agent ad, right? Um, so, you know, the, I think there are people in Detroit who are frustrated uh, and I am not one of those people because again, this man decided to do what's best for his family. I, I, take it, I take him at his word. I think he probably really liked the way the Tigers handled his family emergency. I think that might not be how it, if something like that were to happen again while he was in LA, I don't think it would have been quite so warm. Mm-hmm. Right. At least not mm-hmm. from the fan base. Right. So, right. uh, I, you know, I don't blame it. It was a surprise to the teams. I think, uh, at first it, I, I don't know what those conversations were, but I think there was some shock. So usually trade, uh, trade clause, no trade clauses are just leverage. Mm-hmm. Right. It's yeah. Okay. I'll do it if you give me this. Right. Um, you know, I, I want to make sure. You know, I want to make sure my contract gets extended, or I want to, uh, you know, get get something to give up. You know, basically, I have something, and if I'm going to give it up. You're going to give me something in return. Um, mm-hmm. I think in this case, it really was he did not want to go to the West Coast, right? Not because I mean, it, there's more to life than winning and losing, right? Mm-hmm. I know that's hard for some folks, but there is more to life than winning than uh to winning and losing. Erod already has a World Series ring. Right. So like he has, he's done it before. Uh, Again, long story short, I take him at his word. He wanted to do what was best for his family. And I, I can't think of any good reason to uh, begrudge a man for doing that.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's been through so much really lately as well. Remember during COVID uh, not only did he get COVID, but he had that, that heart issue that's associated, that was associated with COVID maybe still is. I'm not sure. Hopefully, uh, you know, uh, that's not the, an issue for him anymore. But the guy has had, um, you know, had it pretty rough uh, lately. So uh, I was just curious yeah, to Biddy see. He
2: stay in one place for a little while.
1: Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, let's take a look at some of the moves that took uh, place uh, hitter-wise. I mean, there were tons of pitchers being moved, lots of activity with bullpen pitchers and the new closers and whatnot. But um, let's stick to a couple of hitters. And here's a guy that is not on your hitter list, Josh Bell going to the Marlins. And, you know, he's been slumping for a long time, but the Marlins hoping that he has something left. And in his first four games for them, went five for 15, home run, double, three run score, three RBI, four walks. Uh, Not even on your taxi squad there, Scott, but you look at, you know, 2019, the year of the live ball, had 37 home runs, 116 RBI, and it's just gone downhill power-wise since then. In uh, 21, hit 27 homers. In 22, hit 17 home runs. And now in 101 games uh, in this season, 12 home runs. So it's lots of ground balls, only 30. Uh, Is he anything more than something that uh, Fantasy managers should keep on their watch list at this stage?
2: So obviously I'm not a huge fan of Ooh. Josh Bell. We, we've played this game before. He has yet outside of really 2019 uh, and 2021. Those were two seasons where he had, <clears throat> he had, you know, he had strong seasons, 37 home runs and 27 home runs. Um, and of course, like way back in 2017, he, you know, had some success when he was still a Pirate. But the guy, I mean, in OBP leagues, he would certainly be like taxi squad, maybe back end of the list kind of guy. But in batting average leagues, I mean, this is just not a guy who has put up any kind of consistent, you know, he just like can't perform consistently. He goes on these hot streaks for a short period of time and then falls off completely. Uh, He had a good first half of the season when he was still in Washington last year, went to the Padres and of course was terrible.
1: Oh, he takes. Right. Uh,
2: Since leaving the Nationals, he's not really shown us anything, mm-hmm. right? Like, he has not shown us a single thing that makes me say, Yeah, I want to chase this. I would much rather go after a lot of the other options uh, at first base. Like, it's not, it's not like there's a ton of first basemen out there that are like, you know, real game changers, but like, where, where do, like, is Josh Bell a top 20 first baseman in fantasy? Like, I think that's a real debate. Right. Because mm-hmm. then you have to think about, uh, you know, Isak Paredes, you know, can Spencer Steer make a rebound? Can CJ Krone make a rebound? Spencer Torkelson, you know, he's slumping again. What can happen with him? Carlos Santana has done a lot of the things that we kind of wanted Josh Bell to do, which is take walks and hit home runs. Mm-hmm. Right. Brandon Drury just came back. Right. Uh, we've seen young players like Christian Encarnacion Strand come up. So why hold Bell who has a very capped ceiling when you can go after any of those guys. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's someone that you might stream in good matchups, but otherwise, you know, give me the Alec bones and the, uh, you know, CJ crones who I'm not a huge fan of either, but mm-hmm. like, give me those guys, Brandon yeah. Drury. You want, you know, give me that. Like, I, I just don't see how bell makes much of a difference from those guys. Like I, mm-hmm. he's except I don't think he has the same ceiling as like uh Brandon Drury. who's also eligible at second and third or Spencer steer. Who's first third outfield. Or CJ Crone, who we've seen hit lots of home runs mm-hmm. recently, right? It just, I, I just can't get that excited about Josh Bell.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to talk about CJ Crone and Randall Grichik, who got traded to the Angels. Uh, but first, I'll just since we, we were talking about the Marlins, you know, uh, really trying to build up on some of their power hitters, and uh, you know, Jake Berger, I, you know. I didn't realize that he had 26 home runs so far this season, but to me, he looks like Joey Gallo, light, right? A home run, a bust, you know, uh, so far, uh, 26 home runs, batting 214 with uh, just about a 31% strikeout rate this season. So, uh, you know, I mean, obviously not a guy that you're going to want to to roster on on, uh, uh, on many fantasy teams at this stage, right?
2: Very niche guy mm-hmm. uh in terms of his fantasy utility. Yes, home runs are there, but like RBI and runs kind of aren't <laughs> because mm. the way the way it works out for him is you know Jake Berger is the quintessential aggressive power hitter, right? And that means highs and lows. The thing about Berger that's made him so tough to roster this season and anyone who's done it will tell you he has these blistering hot streaks that last like a week or two mm-hmm. and then he is just unplayable mm-hmm. for 3 to 4 weeks at a time i mean the the white Sox platooned him they just they i mean they got tired this guy i mean he strikes out a ton hits a lot of bad balls and then just um it's honestly the the closest i can come to like describing what the performance has been like is like Christopher Morel, This mm-hmm. kind of just erratic, like hot, then cold. Like by the time you realize he's hot again, you've missed like half the streak because you missed him for three days mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, he, He's really difficult to roster. It requ- I mean, it's got to be a daily league. It's got to be one where you just don't care about ratios anymore because he's a massive tank. Like he's a massive drag on any ratio except for slugging, mm-hmm. right? Um slugging and then like technically, Oh, you know, if you're playing OPS, like he, he has a decent OPS just because of the slugging. Right. Um, but yeah, so I, I don't love that. He went to <clears throat> a much more difficult park to hit home runs in. Uh, he was in a very ideal situation. And while the lineup for the Marlins is better, the top of the white Sox lineup, are like where he was hitting behind Eloy and behind Lewis Robert, like it was, not it's not like he's getting a huge upgrade by going to the Marlins. So he might get a couple more RBI, but then, you know, of course, can he hit more home runs? Uh, man, he's so streaky. He, he, I think you brought up Joey Gallo, but Joey Gallo walked, right? Mm-hmm. He had this mm-hmm. floor that Dick Berger does not have. He right. doesn't walk. So I would actually compare him more to like, a, oh man, mm, Adam Duvall,
0: How <laughs> okay.
2: doesn't walk.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, goes. Ooh, I mean, we saw Adam Duvall in April be the best hitter in baseball, so he went mm-hmm. down, mm-hmm. right? And now he's barely playable. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the kind of player I sort of see Jake Berger as right now. I'm not saying he can't change, and you know, I I really like the ownership in Miami. I like that they've been able to develop players. Could they find a way for Jake Berger to be better than he is in a way the White Sox could not? Yes, because the White Sox do not care that guys strike out, right? It's just not a concern of theirs. Mm-hmm. Um, they they will let Lewis Robert and other guys strike out as much as they want. Uh, so Miami might fix that a little bit. Uh, but again, another reason it was weird is because Miami has players like this. Like, what is Jorge Soler if not a bit more consistent Jake Berger, right? right? What is Hazy Sanchez but a left-handed Jake Berger? Right, like it was kind of weird to me that they that they decided to go this route, but they did. It looks like he's going to play every day uh, as their third baseman. Uh, he did get sat recently against a a righty uh, just here on Saturday, so I'm I'm going to kind of keep an eye on how often that happens. But he continues to be this fringe if you need power corner infielder.
1: Mm-hmm. So before we take our, our second break, um, real quick. Does the trade of C.J. Krohn and Randall Gritchick back to the Angels? Remember, Gritchik was uh, a first-round pick, one uh, you know, pick ahead of uh, the, uh, the Angels. I believe they had back-to-back first-round picks, and they picked Grichik, and then they picked Mike Trout back in the day. Um, but uh, does this move the needle on uh, either of these guys uh, coming back uh, to the Angels organization?
2: They left Colorado uh, at least when they were in Colorado, there were week to week and a half stretches where I probably wanted, you know, where I was interested as a stream. Right. Um, Randall Grichik has not really been able to produce in Colorado consistently. So I, just uh, I don't see how he, we can expect a lot of consistency in LA. Uh, Gritchick is a, you know, at his best was a not very durable power hitter who didn't walk, uh, but you know, had okay batting averages because he hits the ball really hard. He's not someone I'm interested in in twelve team leagues, even with five outfield. If he's on a roster, it should be because you're streaming him until you find something better. I just don't think Grichik is is going to be someone that makes a difference long term. Uh, I mean, he has playing time. That's about it. No. And with Crone, uh, I am kind of interested in Crone because. While he does leave a very enticing situation in Colorado, at least he's hitting behind Otani, right? Uh, and then when Mike Trout returns, which will send Grichik back to um, wherever it is they want to put him, um, he'll likely hit behind Trout as well. Mm-hmm. So Crone could be an RBI source going forward. He's not hitting well quite yet. At uh, least well, been okay. Uh, I think with Crone, he is someone who I mean I like him more than you know. <sighs> I like him more than Josh Bell, right? I, I'd take Crone over Bell because I think Crone is in a better situation. And Crone mm-hmm. is someone again who has been very relevant the past few seasons. Um, you know, 28 home runs in 2021, 29 home runs in 2022. You know, you might bring that upside yeah, home run upside down just a little bit because he's not in Colorado. But, you know, I, I do think he's a guy who could hit like two fifty-ish, mm. uh, and hit maybe, you know. Seven, eight more home runs, uh, and really just give you some RBI juice just from hitting behind Otani and then Otani and Trout.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, since Crone uh, was with the Angels back in the day, uh, well, I mean, it's more, I guess, enticing a better hitter park for for left-handed hitters, right? Because they they. They change the dimensions a little bit, right? Uh, there, so I guess we'll see. I mean, uh, Grichik, yeah, I see what you're saying. Not really uh, interested in him in much, but uh, you know, uh, I guess there's that, also that that theory that batters that play in the in colorado they have that issue where uh, there's the difference in playing in high altitude and then having to get used to playing in lower altitudes maybe it'll be something that'll restart his career but i'm not jumping uh, to to add
2: that's an important thing to point out Mm -hmm. that the the course effect works both ways it makes them better at home it makes them worse on the road because pitches move differently but like even overall, right? Like in theory, it should kind of balance itself out. It should make mm-hmm. a guy less, in theory, it would make a guy less streaky. But like Gritchick was not good last season, mm-hmm. right? I mean, he played 140 games, 19 home runs, hit 259, which is fine um, with very mediocre run, very mediocre RBI hitting in the middle of the order for the Rockies. So, you know, what? what exactly are we supposed to be excited about? Right, like, what is it that I expect Gritchik to do? Right. We saw, I mean, we've seen Grichik play quite. I mean, he's had a long career and he's a, at his best, he's been a, other than 2019, of course, because it's 2019, he is a low to mid 20s home run bat with a 250 batting average. Mm-hmm. Like, that is, that is just a guy in 12 team leagues, right? There's tons of those, mm-hmm. uh, you know, various flavors and, uh, various skill sets, but there's tons of guys who can create that kind of production. Grichik is batting at the bottom of the order um, for, for the angels. He's, you know, he had one game where he hit fourth. That was a little interesting, but you know, eight and ninth, the last two games, I, I'm just going to need to see a lot more before I care at all.
1: Gotcha. Okay. So let's take our uh, last break of the podcast. When we come back, uh, we'll talk about the Cubs who uh, added a third baseman, and uh, we'll uh, integrate that uh, in terms of uh, players that have uh, moved up your hitter list as well. Cubs are really hot and, and an interesting team to uh, watch in the second half as the last couple months of the season progress. And we'll talk about all of that right after this. All right, we're back. Hacks and Jacks fantasy baseball podcast, Joe Galina and Scott Chu with you. Um, and so – the Cubs traded for, uh, is it Heimer or Jamer Candelario, Scott? Cause he's a former tiger. I do believe it's Jamer. Okay. So Jamer Candelario to the Cubs, uh, nationals had to move him really basically. Cause he was on a one-year contract going to be a free agent at the end of the season. They weren't going to resign him, but 29 year old switch hitter traded back to the Cubs. I-, I forgot that he was, uh, part of the organization back in the day, uh, basically batting towards the bottom of the lineup, though, batted uh, seventh in their lineup, uh, I think, earlier in his career, especially when he was a Tiger. Uh, a lot was expected of him, uh, but basically what he's turned out to be is uh, a guy that could hit upwards of uh, 20 home runs, seventy the RBI. Uh, that's basically his 162-game average, but has really been on a tear uh, since the trade in his first five games with the Cubbies. Uh, batting 579, uh, (laughs) 11 hits in his first 19 at-bats, scored eight runs. So uh, Cubs are are an interesting team, but uh, give me your take on uh, Candelario in Chicago.
2: Yeah, he was actually uh, a key piece of the Nick Castellanos trade Mm -hmm. for uh, the Tigers that he was the main return, and he actually worked out fine, right? He was a a decent player, and what – up until coming to the cubs the real calling card for jamer candelario who is having the best season of his career uh just kind of overall um he's already he's like two home runs away from his career high in home runs he is you know striking out less than ever uh he has a good batting average not quite as good as the one he had in 2020 but that was only you know 52 games uh but with jamer candelario what he's been up till now is, is sort of this low end accumulator. He was a guy that would hit, you know, third or fourth on a bad team but still had plenty of RBI opportunities because he was getting plenty of at-bats in the middle of an order. Eventually, you'll get these, you know, you'll get these counting stats and a guy who was probably until now I never thought he was going to hit 20 home runs. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh yeah. but here he is having, you know, the best full season of his career right now, Uh, 104 games, 17 home runs, six stolen bases, uh, something that, you know, kind of weird, but really, I think just a function of the new rules and the fact that he was a national, uh, Mm -hmm. I don't expect that so much with the Cubs hitting 274 batting average isn't necessarily too surprising. He's a career 246 hitter, but he's sort of this slappy guy who, uh, you know, he had a 271 average back in 2021 with the tigers when he was, you know, fairly relevant. Uh, Candelario is it's weird because his ceiling is quite low with the ceiling is what you've seen really uh, with Jamer Candelario. He just doesn't, he doesn't, I mean, he never was seen as a guy with big power. He was never seen as a guy with speed. He was Ooh. just a guy with a, with okay power and a hit tool. And he's shown us that, right? He makes contact. Uh, it's nice to see him go. So I don't think you're going to see a huge change to his counting stats, despite the fact that he's dropped to like six. He's, it looks like he's batting six today, Sunday uh, for, the Cubs. Uh, but I think, you know, the biggest thing with, with Candelario is I don't think you're going to see a huge change in the counting stats because while he is dropping down the order, he's going to do a better team, mm-hmm. right? Uh, significantly better offense. that's much hotter than the nationals have been. So I, I think you can continue to get these, you know, okay. Counting numbers in and the rest of it is just like, how much longer can he keep doing this? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Is it possible that Jamer Candelario, uh, you know, who's, you know, a little over 29 and a half years old, has found something new to his game. I mean, it's possible, right? Hmm. Uh, the, re- the results suggest maybe that's happening, but I don't see enough of anything else happening to say like, yeah, that's it, right? I mean, the, the expected stats are pretty much in line with what they've been in recent seasons. He's pulling the ball a little more than last year, but not that much more than he did in years past, right? Um, he's He's hitting the ball up in the air a little bit more, but not much. Uh, He's hitting some line drives, but not as many as he did in years past. There's not like a single thing I can point to and say, oh, that's it. That's Mm -hmm. the thing that he's doing now. Right. And it's always nice when you get that because it's like, oh yeah, like this makes sense. I I can, I have a cause for this reaction, but honestly, all I've really seen is that he's hitting fastballs better. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And, And like, that's cool. But I need to see more than that to believe that a significant change has happened because He's been up and down against fastballs throughout his career. Uh, He was terrible against them last year. He was good against them in 2020 and 2021. uh, Terrible against them in 2019. It's weird Um, and fairly random for him. So it's got to be more than that. I'm not saying he's going to slump or something's going to fall out. I mean, guys can be good Mm -hmm. uh, for a year. Uh, And it's not as though he's like super outperforming his past years. He's just been doing it a little bit better. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I think he could end the season with like 20. 22 to 25 home runs, depending on how hot he stays. I think the batting average at worst will be in, you know, even during his slumps, it's never that low. Uh, you know, he should at least bat 250, maybe closer to 260, 265 for the rest of the season. But, you know, he's, he's someone that you've been playing. He's been a good stop gap for you at third base, but he's not someone I'm looking at in keeper dynasty to try to get a hold of. He's not, you know, Jamer Candelario is just not someone who, I ever think is going to be this guy that's like, yes, uh, this is exciting. You know, he's a guy who I can project for 25 home runs in a season. He might get there this season, but I don't think we'll ever project him for that. So Mm -hmm. he is a good back end third base. Okay. Corner infield in deeper 12 team formats, obviously in 15 team formats in 10 teamers, which a lot of people still play. He's someone who I'm playing for now. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. And then someone else might get hot and I'll want them. So, you know, It's just all this to say he is a high floor, fairly low ceiling player who's playing close to the ceiling this year.
1: Right. Okay. Yeah. Cubs are a fun team uh, this season. Fun story. There, Um, all of a sudden, you know, you got in the uh, NL Central. Reds have a five game losing streak, and the Cubs are in third place behind. The Brewers who are in first, and then the Reds are in second. They're only two and a half games out of first entering Sunday's action. And if you look at this lineup up and down, and you know, they've a few of these guys have made some some moves on your hitter list. I mean, uh Candelario, Dansby Swanson, Ian Happ, they all hit home runs for the Cubs on Saturday night. Uh you got Mike Talkman, uh former Yankee. <laughs> former Rocky who uh, made it to your taxi squad. He's batting lead off. Uh, and, and, you know, you talked about in points leagues, that's important, right? Uh, getting a chance to play every day, guy with a good pedigree, had a, a 301 career minor league uh, batting average, uh, moderate power and some speed to his game. Um, Nico Horner, one up uh, nine slots to uh, 58 on your hitter list, second baseman for the Cubs. Uh, you know, love his plate discipline. I'm just curious. He's 10 slots up from Has Young Kim, second baseman for the Padres, who's been on fire as well. He and, and but Kim went up 32 slots and he's at the top of your tier nine, uh, at number 68. Mm-hmm. So I guess we could, you know, just stop there and, and there may be another one or two, uh, cubbies that we'll talk about, maybe Dansby Swanson, but, uh, talk to me about uh yeah, yeah, Talkman. I I know you're not really high on him he's more of a, a streaming kind of guy but uh, it seems you're high on Nico Horner
2: Yeah and I continue to be high on Nico Horner who uh you know he he's never going to give you that much power right but it looks like he might get to like 35ish stolen bases yeah, on the season already, just- yeah Mm-hmm. Hitting two, uh, hitting 274, I think he's going to um, probably get close to 90 runs scored. Maybe a little more if this offense continues to perform the way it has. Uh, and maybe, I mean, I don't think he can get to 100, but I think he could threaten it maybe. Um, he is great for points leagues because while he doesn't walk a ton, he almost never strikes out. Twelve point nine percent strikeout rate uh, this season, about in line with, with his career. Six percent, six point one percent walk rate, about in line with his career. So the bat, I mean, the batting average is is always going to be something I think that stays up. Uh, the power again doesn't have a lot of it, but doesn't need it. He should still be able to hit ten ish home runs, like getting the low double digits. And he's just, I mean, he's an incredibly consistent guy. And you know, when I look at Haseon Kim, it's not as though I think that you know. Horner's like way better than Haseon Kim, but Haseon Kim has struggled. Like this is the first time we've seen Haseon Kim perform at the level of mm-hmm. what we see from Nico Horner, who I mean, last season was also quite good. I uh, had 10 home runs, 20 stolen bases again, 281 average. Uh, it's, you know, he's he's better in, you know, Nico Horner is better in standard leagues and OBP because the OBP is like fine. Uh, it's going to probably stay below three 30 or so uh, because he doesn't walk that much, but, yeah, big fan of, of Nico Horner. And mm-hmm. then with Haseon Kim, I mean, the big change for Haseon Kim, yes, he's hitting better, but the real change is hitting first. Mm-hmm. Hitting first in the Padres lineup that it's I can yeah, to, yeah mm-hmm. to continue to stay hot, right? I mean, they have, um, they have, you know, he, it's Kim, and then it's Tatis Jr., Soto, Machado, uh, Bogertz, who I don't love. But, like, that is, it's nice to have those guys behind you, right? Mm-hmm. It means Haseon Kim's going to get pitches to hit all the time. Because yeah. he's the one that, you know, at least probably won't hit a home run against you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right? Like, how to attack us, young Kim.
1: He has 15 home runs this season. I mean, 15 yeah, home runs, 24 nice stolen game. bases. I mean, it, you know, you. it looks like he's finally figured it out. Like, he had a really good career. Uh, was it from Japan, right? Um, uh, Korea. Uh, he Korea, from right. I apologize. Yeah. Um, and... You know, it looks like he's, you know, I've been waiting for this for a few years from him. And like you said, he's got that, he's got those big boppers behind him this season. If he's somebody that I would target in trades, you know, in, in in redraft leagues.
2: Yeah. And the, again, the power remains a big surprise simply because uh, he doesn't hit the ball that hard. Right. Uh, He, Mm -hmm. I mean, he doesn't barrel it up hardly ever. Right. Uh, career high barrel rate of 5.8% this season. That's not very high. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, but he is he is getting home runs. Um, he does pull the ball quite a bit, so that's probably why he's doing it. Hard to project how many home runs he'll hit the rest of the way. Um, I, I think he probably caps out around 20. Uh, I, I do think he could potentially end the season being better than Nico Horner, right? Uh, but, you know, I, I think I... I'm not sure how much longer the batting average will stay as high as it is for Haseon Kim. Haseon Kim basically just the reason he's not even higher than this is just a little bit of risk. Mm-hmm. Right? It's just, it's just a little bit of risk where, you know, he could, he could take a little bit of a step back, right. And still be very, very good. I think he is someone to target. He is, I, you know, people have asked, I'm not, should I sell high on Haseon Kim? You're not going to get a return that matches what I think you'll get from Haseon Kim the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. Right. So I, I definitely think he's a hold, but if someone thinks they're selling high, you should absolutely go for Most it. And I always of the say that Projection
1: models think he's uh, five or six more home runs and six or seven more stolen bases for the rest of the season.
2: Yeah. And the thing yeah. is, those same projection models think he's going to hit 250 instead of the 260. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah.
2: So. So when, when you look at combined home runs and steals, I think mm-hmm. with, Horner, with Horner, and, Horner and Kim, you see the same amount of combined home runs and steals. It's just split up a little differently. With Horner, it's like three or four more home runs and like seven to nine uh, stolen bases. Mm-hmm. And with mm-hmm. Kim, it's just evenly split between home runs and stolen bases. Uh, Projections-wise, the big difference is just 20 to 30 points of batting average for Horner that, uh, that Kim doesn't have. Both of them are uh you know bat near the yeah at or near the top of the order. both of them uh are are fairly young players. Kim is uh twenty seven close twenty eight Horner is uh, twenty six. So both very interesting um again, they're I kind of expect their rankings to become very close together, and mm-hmm. your real preference will be, can you take on the batting average risk? Uh, not, not real risk. Like Kim is not going to hurt your batting average. He just might not have as good of one as Nico Horner. And then it just becomes like, which do you need more? Do you need more steals than home runs? Or is the split better for you? Mm -hmm. Right. Like, you know, how, how do you want to play it? Or even like ranking them week to week is really tough just because I think they offer overall a very similar outcome just right. in slightly different ways. So yeah, big fan. And again, the, the whole Cubs team, I mean, Ian Happ has been maddening because he goes on these really, I mean, he goes on these terrible slumps, uh, which is weird for a guy like him who walks a ton, doesn't strike out that much, uh, not overly aggressive. I mean, he's a very patient hitter. It just goes on these terrible stretches and then turns around, gets really, really hot. He's really like, <laughs> Ian Happ is, is really volatile. Which is just weird for a player with his profile. It's very bizarre. And I have the Cubs have several guys I have a hard time like really making heads or tails of him and Cody Bellinger are just guys where I'm like, I don't get it. I don't get why these guys are so volatile. I don't get why things change so dramatically for them with very little changes to how they're playing. It's just they're just better for yeah. a while and then they're worse. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. So you know that that's kind of interesting i think uh christopher morrell's on this team i know why he's up and down he he just goes through bouts yeah. of bad decision making
1: uh about, so yeah. Dasby swanson's yeah. been hot lately and he went up uh, 20 slots on your hitter list uh, it looks like he's finally uh getting it going more consistently seven home runs 17 rbi over the past month
2: yeah except for the stolen bases would it be that mm-hmm. weird if he kind of had similar results to what he had uh, for Atlanta last season. So last season with Atlanta, 25 yeah. home run. Uh, I mean, the thing that'll be different is I don't expect Swanson to get close to 99 runs scored and 96 RBI or mm-hmm. 18 stolen bases. You bring all those down. But I think the power output can be very similar. I think the batting average can be very similar. It was 277 last year, 263 this year. So I rest of the way, I wouldn't be that surprised if he hit above 270, um he could as hit as many as like eight or nine more home runs that's what the bat and the bad x think mm-hmm. so you know, swanson is a guy who i think could be very solid he's been a bit disappointing i think for fantasy managers this season uh but i do think there is uh hope for the future right i think he could end the season with like 25 home runs seven ish stolen bases and a good batting average he's walking a lot more uh which is kind of nice for OBP leagues not that you got him for that purpose but dance mm-hmm. swanson yeah i think I think he looks a lo- he looks and feels a lot more like the Dansby Swanson we had before. And with this team hitting better, hitting fifth for the Cubs is a lot. You know, hitting fifth for the Cubs, the way we talk about it today, is a lot different than the way we talked about hitting fifth for the Cubs back in uh, April and May,
1: mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. It
2: wasn't that yeah. attractive of a prospect then. It's very attractive now.
1: Yep. Yeah, and I, I said seven home runs, seventeen RBI over over the past month for Dansby Swanson. It's actually only over this past fourteen games, but you must have been on the il earlier because he's only played 14 games in the last month but uh good stuff as always from you scott uh and uh, i guess that kind of slams the lid on things for this week scott we'll be looking for the updated hitter list in the middle of the week when it comes out uh and uh as always we hope that all of your fantasies become realities and we'll see you next time